God, the designer, God, the creator, God, the maker, God, the artist. You know, I read recently about the first man to ever orbit the earth, Russian cosmonaut Yuri Gagarin in 1961. And what caught my attention about that story uh, was actually what the premier of the Soviet Union, essentially the president of Russia, uh, Nikita Khrushchev, what he proclaimed in response. He said that in Russia, our official religion is atheism. And now we have even more evidence for atheism because we have sent a man into heaven and there was no God there. Khrushchev says essentially that we went into the heavens uh, where the sun and the moon and the stars are kept and God was not there. Therefore, it is clear that there is no God, which I guess you could say almost turns our statement perhaps more into a doubtful question. God, the designer, God, the creator, is God the maker, the artist? Or what about not just the vastness of space, but you could say the specificity of, of this value that we call love, love that we give and receive and experience in this life. Like how does atheism describe the, the presence and the experience of love? Francis Crick, a Nobel winning molecular biologist, some years ago, he wrote a book called the Astonishing Hypothesis. And in it, he said something that was pretty controversial, but from a secular viewpoint of things, uh, really explains, you could say, from an atheistic standpoint, how love is described. He said it this way, essentially he said, you, that your, your joys, your sorrows, your memories, your ambitions, that all of it, your sense of personal identity and free will, he said, in the end are nothing more than the behavior of a vast assembly of nerve cells and their associated molecules. What are you saying essentially is that you have no soul. And we hold that intention with this idea that across our society, whether atheists, you don't believe in God or you believe in God, that across the, the gamut, we would say, yes, people matter. We say human beings have dignity and that within all of that, that protecting and, and caring for and, and even loving people, it, it all matters. Like all of this matters. But to say that and at the same time say, there is no God, that, that you have no soul. Well, to land there leaves us with the only logical conclusion that Francis Click, he's right. That love is nothing more than a chemical response. Uh, a chemical response in our brains that our ancestors, uh, that they were enabled to survive by as part of some kind of natural selection uh, in this biological evolution as part of this secular world. And, and that we have now inherited that amounting us to, quote, nothing more than the behavior of a vast assembly of nerve cells and their associated molecules. Or or Christmas. Christmas, that the story of scripture from the beginning, Genesis 1-1, which says in the beginning, God, and in the beginning, God created. 
And then there, John 1, uh, echoing those words, says, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word here is Jesus and says that the Word was with God, Jesus was with God, and the Word was God. And then 1 John 1, that which was from the beginning, which John says, which we have seen and heard and touched, that 1 John 4.10, he goes on to say, he said, this is love. He says, not that we loved God, but Christmas, that He, God the designer, God the creator, God the maker, God the artist, that He loved us and sent His Son. The God the creator, God the maker, God the artist, out of the overflow of His true love for us, designed Christmas. You know, at that time when Nikita Khrushchev proclaimed, you know, we've been to the heavens and God was not there, therefore there is no God. You know, C.S. Lewis was still alive at the time and he wrote a little essay in response. And he said this, he said, if there was a God, you wouldn't relate to God the way that a person who lives, you could say on the first floor, relates to a person who lives on the second floor. You see, Khrushchev, he actually was thinking that God was somehow uh, living on the second floor, that we're down here on earth and we sent a man to the second floor and there was nobody home. Therefore, if there's nobody there, conclude there must be no God. But C.S. Lewis, he went on to say that if there was a God, you wouldn't relate to God the way that a person who you know lives on the first floor relates to a person who lives on the second floor. But you would relate to him the way he said that Shakespeare relates to Hamlet. You see, the only way Hamlet can know anything about Shakespeare, the author, the creator, is if Shakespeare writes something about himself into the play. In other words, Hamlet, he's, he's not gonna find out anything about Shakespeare by, you could say, going up into the rafters of the theater, the second floor, if you will. Only if Shakespeare, the designer, the writer, the maker of the play, the artist, by revelation, reveals something to the created that comes from the creator. You see, you'll only know something about your creator if he chooses to reveal it to you, if he chooses to write it into the script, write it into the play, to reveal and write into this world. And I love what C.S. Lewis goes on to say. He, he goes on to really proclaim, he says, ah, you see, but God, he did something far better than just write some information into the play. He actually, he wrote himself into the play that Jesus, he wrote himself into our lives in the same way that if, if Shakespeare were to write himself and actually into becoming Hamlet. You see, that's the why behind the full message of Christmas. It, it doesn't start with a, a baby in a manger. It starts with, in the beginning, God. And that God, he created and he loved us and we. Humanity, we broke that loving relationship by rejecting him, rejecting his ways, and we've created a, a broken mess in the world and for our lives. But God, God in his, his true love, he, he looked down into the world that he created. He looked at us and our broken mess 
and he sent, you could say, the main character. He sent himself. He wrote himself right into humanity, right into our broken mess, right into our lives 2,000 years ago as a baby in a manger. A baby that, yes, even at Christmas time, may we not forget the message of John on behalf of Jesus saying, this is love. Not that we loved God, but Christmas, that he, God the designer, God the creator, God the maker, God the artist, that he loved us. And it says, sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. You know, for Jesus to ensure that we would never forget the full message not this, that he lived, but that he lived to become that atoning sacrifice. On the night of that betrayal to that atoning sacrifice with his original disciples, he celebrated something we call now communion. And so we're gonna celebrate that together here in that what Jesus did is he took bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body given for you. And so let's eat in remembrance of his body given for us. And after supper, after supper, it says that he took the cup and he said, this is my blood poured out for you for the new covenant, the new way of forgiveness through Jesus to right the wrongs, to clean up the mess that we made, made possible by his blood as we remember in the cup. And so let's drink in remembrance together. For your atoning sacrifice made possible by your coming from heaven to earth to bridge the gap of our sin and our separation, we give you thanks in the name of Jesus, amen. You know, it's fascinating to me what goes into creating a fire, uh, what actually it is that makes it burn. You know, sure, there's the logs, you know, uh, but beyond that, there's, you could say, the space between the logs, the, the space for the air to flow. And what actually makes a fire burn is not just the logs, but that space, that space between the logs. You know, too many logs packed too tightly in together can actually douse the flames just as surely as a pail of water thrown on top of it would. So building a fire requires, you could say, as much attention to the spaces in between the logs as it does the logs itself. You see, this season of Christmas, it's a time where, you know, we admit so many logs are packed in. You know, as we think about all that we have going on, the places we need to be, the people we need to get things for, and the seemingly endless pile of projects that seem to go with this season to complete. But I would ask you, where is the space in between? Where's the space between all those logs 
where you reflect on the reality of what Christmas is all about. Jesus Christ, the newborn King. And so we do that right here and now. We're making that happen as we focus here in worship on reflection on scripture and spiritual songs and prayer but also outside of this hour together on your own, between the weekends, uh, the, the space in your life to take advantage of the audio devotions and the family advent boxes and just on your own, taking in God's word and time for prayer. You see, this is the space. This is the space that we need between the logs. And then even from there, as we think about what it is that we have in our relationship with Jesus, we need to create space in our story to share this story that God is writing about himself into the story of others' lives at Christmas as well. And as I consider that, I want you to hear uh, from one of our own, Mason Jones, the way that God wrote himself into his story and how he is now devoting his life to go and do likewise. My name is Mason Jones. Uh, I started attending First Christian in 2015, and then I graduated in 2018 to go to Eastern Illinois University. And just this past spring, I graduated from EIU, and now I'm working with Campus Outreach to plant a new region in Michigan and take the gospel to a couple of campuses in Michigan. I was a professed atheist. My dad had relatively recently started going to church, I think within the last year or so. And when I moved in, he started taking me with him. And so I was not at all interested in church, but I loved my dad. So I was like, okay, I'll go to church. Um, and one of the first few weeks that I was going, uh, Thomas Hagen walked up on stage in the East Auditorium and he introduced a song. He just walked through the gospel uh, in a prayer. Uh, he just said, thank you, Father, for sending your son to pay the price that we deserve, that we could never pay for our sin, so that we can have free access to you and free righteousness in your son's name. And I was just like, hold up, that's what you guys believe? I thought, I thought Christians believe that, you know, you just be a good person and you get to heaven. Um, and so that was kind of my first introduction to the gospel was just, oh, like, this is a completely different framework for understanding the world than anything I had come across. Um, it wasn't instant, it was over the course of a couple months, but man, just grappling with the gospel in the Bible, at church, and especially in just the lives of Christians around me um, was really just a compelling witness to Christ. And so by the end of uh, that fall semester of my sophomore year of high school, I professed faith. Really, what Campus Outreach tries to do with students is, our vision statement is to glorify God by building up laborers on the college campus for the lost world. And so our, our goal in sharing the gospel with students is not just to get them to a profession of faith and then leave them, but then to pour into them, disciple them, bring them up in their faith so that they can in turn pour into others, help them grow in their faith, share their faith with other people, and see God glorified through the gospel being proclaimed. I'm gonna be planting a new campus ministry at Calvin University in Grand Rapids. And so I'm gonna be kind of diverting my time between uh, office work, which I'm trying to um, kind of condense and solidify as much as possible. So I've also got time to spend time with students and really 
just share my faith with them and then also equip them to do the same for others and get just really a multiplying, self-sustaining ministry up and running at Calvin University. First time I ever shared the gospel with someone and they accepted Christ, I think my first thought was, I wanna do this for the rest of my life. Breakthrough. Christmas according to John. You see, it's all about this message. It's all about the reality of how Jesus did just that, how he broke through heaven to get to earth, how he broke through all of our sin and our separation just to get to us. As he writes in 1 John 1, 4, he shares this message. He says, I write this to make my joy complete, that when you hear and receive the gospel, it makes my joy complete, and you too can complete the cycle of joy in someone else's life. You too, just like Mason, can be a missionary, making complete the joy of the Lord in their lives by sharing, by investing, and inviting them to experience not just what happened at Christmas, but why Christmas happen, why Christmas matters, why and how Jesus broke through every barrier to get to us.